0: Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Tins, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of 19 Nocturne Boulevard. 19 Nocturne Boulevard. Nocturne Boulevard? Not far. When you hit Howard, hang a right. Howard meets Philip at a weird kind of angle, and then you cross James and Poe. You can't miss Nocturne. It's just past the ottoman. Originally started back in 2008, 19 Nocturne Boulevard is the brainchild of Julie Hoverson. It's an anthology series that tends toward horror, suspense, and sci-fi, and anything Hoverson finds interesting to write about. On this feed, you can find other of Hoverson's projects mixed in with 19 Nocturnes episodes, meaning there's quite a variety of content to choose from. She is also the creator of A.D. Infinitum, a Twitter-based project that promotes scripted audio dramas. Hoverson took a hiatus from production after several years, but is now re-releasing 19 Nocturne Boulevard content with additional commentary, one of those called Making Book is the story of brother and sister criminals who are hired to steal a mysterious book and the deadly consequences that follow. I spoke to Julie remotely from her home. You have been in the audio drama field for a while. Tell us how you got started. What's your creative background?
1: Well, I studied screenwriting around 2000 Mm. and realized that I love to write them, but I didn't want to have to chase down opportunities because, I mean, really... Unless you're actively present and shoving into people's faces, nobody reads anything. I was in a old-time radio recreation group up here in the Pacific Northwest, and there was a contest for an old-time radio, you know, new scripts for old-time radio type stuff, and I decided to enter it. And part of the contest requirement was that you didn't make an episode for an existing show. You had to create a show. Mm -hmm. And so I came up with the opening to 19 Nocturne Boulevard, but I didn't really think of it as being something I was going to make until early 2008, I think. um, I I was writing scripts. We were occasionally doing readings of in our old-time radio group, but they mostly preferred the old-time stuff. A friend of mine said that he had auditioned for a podcast audio drama, and they were still looking for a female lead, and did I want to come audition? And I was like, of course, I'm a big ham. <laughs> and um, and I auditioned and got the, the female lead in The Unspeakable and Inhuman. They did nine episodes, I think. As we were making it one day, we were in their studio recording, which was one guy's basement. One of the other actors is like, this is fun. We should do more of this. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I've got scripts. <laughs> and of course, then I had to take a crash course in how to mix, because it's it's very easy to volunteer your writing. It's a heck of a lot harder to find somebody to put the show together.
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: People don't realize that the sound mixers are putting in ten times the work of everyone else. If you go to my website at 19NocturneBoulevard.com, that's 19 Nocturne. Everything on the episodes page or any of the other pages that are there, unless it says somebody else put it together, I did it. Yeah, I wrote everything, put it all together myself.
0: Well, now, you said you had a background in writing. Do you have any background in in acting or voice work?
1: Well, I've always done acting, reading aloud to my sister and brother and everything growing up, reading for a couple of friends who are visually impaired. And of course, I've been listening to audiobooks all my life. And old time radio. Actually, when I was first making my first episodes, what I had in my head that I wanted to create was something on the level of the BBC Lord of the Rings. Oh, right, right. If you've ever heard of that. I have. Yeah. Um. There's another company called Big Finish, which is another professional company. And I also had all of their sapphire and steel. And they're also incredibly high quality. Right. And so th- this was what I was thinking was
0: out there, these, you know, these professional things. You started doing 19 Nocturne back in 2008. Yes. Tell me, what was the scene like in 2008?
1: There were a number of different groups out there. There was a, you know, like a bulletin board type area that we'd hang out sort of and chat. There were a few shows. And, then, and actually, there were shows that were already vanishing by the time I got there. I mean, I was by no means a groundbreaker there was broken sea audio and there was empty sea which did tales of the extraordinary and there was misfits and robots of the company the byron chronicles were already going strong i mean byron would be probably the longest running series just about i mean i also was listening to a lot of audio books that were being podcasted at the time jack kincaid who makes edict zero was writing a novel at the time and putting it out on a podcast and i was listening to it and when i wrote one of my episodes i was like i know exactly who i want to cast in this so i got him in as a guest star and made him and he played the devil in one episode of my show two months later he had written the first episode of edict zero and he's like i want you to be in it i you got me hooked on audio (laughs) drama.
0: Tell me what was the community like back in 2008 when you were creating this? I'm I like I'm a newbie, right? This is my first foray into this into this and I was rather surprised to find out how warm and welcoming the community is on Twitter and on Reddit. There's a lot of support for the indie shows out there.
1: I mean, it always has been. Everybody was really helpful and that was one reason it was so great to have a like a central bulletin board area that we'd hang out. People worked on other people's shows, helped out, you know. I mean, very much like now except just a smaller community.
0: Mm, yeah.
1: I mean, it's like one coffee shop and now it's a Starbucks <laughs> franchise. Right. Right. <laughs> right from the start when I even when I was naming 19 Nocturne Boulevard, I know it has nothing to do with something from Harry Potter. It's not anything to do with 19 <laughs> right. with Nocturne Alley, I guess.
0: Yes, yes, That was no. that
1: was the one. I didn't want 13 and I didn't want, you know, any a number with a joke attached, right? you know, but I wanted something that was, a, that was a little bit sinister, you know, and 19 is a prime and all that. And right. I, and, I mean, I went through a lot of different names, you know, to come up with this. I, but I didn't want something that sounded like a street. I mean, something simple, it had to be complex and shady and a boulevard, you know, and the, the opening credits, which are, Basically, listening to a cab driver tell you how to get there. Yeah, and if you listen to the opening credits, it's like, oh, you first you uh, what is it? Take James over to Poe. Uh, right. Howard well, crosses the- Phillips <laughs> at a weird kind of angle.
0: You know, I, I, I got all those references. Okay, good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i
1: good. I suspect a lot of people don't. They're all classic writers of, of of horror fiction, or at least speculative fiction. And and then it's just past the automat.
0: Oh, the automat, which is great, because that seems to land you somewhere in the forties and fifties in terms of the show. And I was gonna bring this up actually. I was listening to Mickey Book and I was like, this sounds has a very OTR kind of feel to it, and yet
2: I'm sorry. I get so tense when I'm working. I know. I said I'm sorry. I should... I should be more careful what I say.
3: You're never gonna do anything with your life if you don't start talking more nicer. (laughs)
2: Hey, who's the older sister here?
3: Not me. I don't got the parts. But seriously, sis. You always looked out for me. I'm just trying to return some. Besides, I get all clenched up inside when you start spouting off like that.
2: Don't work on it. Speaking of who's looking out for who, if this all comes off, you're clear, right? Yeah. You know I don't want to do this again. I've mended my ways and all that bullsh...
3: All that bull. Mr. Broadstreet's paying ten G's. That should get me clear. And then you stop. Stop? You know... It's usually not that big. Rusty,
2: you need to stop. Just cut it out. Cold turkey. Don't you watch Dr. Phil? Gambling is an addiction. There are support groups and everything. I guess. Tell you what. Maybe we both see if we can quit. Me with the bad words. You with the bets. Just for a
1: month. What do you say? I did start out that way. And and, and a lot of them do. And I come back to it. But I've wandered far afield as far as I want to. I mean, one of the big things I wanted to do with the title was to make it sound intriguing and spooky, but not tied inexorably to horror. You know, Mm -hmm. know, Julie's Big Bloody Bath of Chains or something. You know, (laughs) it's like I can do whatever I want because 19 Nocturne can be anything. Yes. I mean, it just gave me free reign to write whatever I felt like. Or adapt. I've adapted a number of things from public domain sci-fi stories.
0: Yeah, I was looking over your show list. You've got not only 19 Nocturne titles, but you've got all kinds of shows that come across on your feed. You've got uh, Atomic Julie's Galactic Bedtime Stories.
1: That is is me just doing readings from public domain sci-fi stories that I get off project gutenberg i figure if i'm gonna read them to see if i want to adapt them i might as well read them out loud i go into them cold i don't even know
0: what the story is about you got bingo the birthday clown
1: bingo the birthday clown (laughs) at some point somebody made a comment on the forums there at the on the bulletin board and bill holwig who was an amazing booster an amazing mixer he posted at one point, um, responded to somebody's comment. He said something like, "I'd rather listen to episode thirty-one of Bingo of the Birthday Clown*," and <laughs> which I was like, "I'll write that," and I and I sat down and I started writing just this incredibly strange. It's like if Kukla, Fran, and Ollie and the Prisoner had a thalidomide baby. Oh, lord. <laughs> yeah, it's not a kid's show. Though at the next convention I went to, I got a bunch of people to uh, let me record their kids for the, for the crowd scenes.
0: You've also got Dead Eye Kid
1: on there? The Dead Eye Kid, there's three episodes that are part of 19 Nocturne Boulevard, and then I spun it off into its own series. I really want to do more of that. That's my Western.
0: I'm really curious as to what does 19 Nocturne mean to you as a show? It seems like you've got a lot of your own creativity in there. It's an outlet for all sorts of creative impulses that you have um, and all sorts of stories that you want to tell.
1: That's basically it. I mean, it's my chance to showcase myself or my friends.
0: You did 19 Nocturne actively uh, from 2008 to 2013. You've recently begun re-releasing some of the 19 Nocturne episodes. Yes. Um, I'm curious as to what brought you back. Why are you bringing these shows back now? I
1: burned out around 2013 for various reasons. I mean, among others, you know, there was just after that, there was a job loss. There was, you know, all this stuff. I went off and I recorded like 900 audiobooks for Audible. But by that point, I you know, I was getting back into writing a few scripts. And I've always had a few more to do. And what I've really burned out on is the mixing. And that's where I'm having such a hard time coming back in.
0: So you burned out. And I get that. I totally understand. Why are you back?
1: I have a tendency to go in cycles on things. I mean, I always knew I would come back and I've been just slowly trying to work back into doing some mixing. I've been getting Atomic Julie out more regularly so that at least I've got something coming out for my audience. When I first started, you know, the idea of coming back and poking a toe in and stuff, the first thing I noticed was that everyone was asking the same age-old musical question, how do I market this? And that was exactly what we were asking through the entire time way back when. So I decided to create something to do that. And I actually have plans with it that would include a website that would link to so many different shows and would have, you know, like a streaming channel and would have a way for people to make money at this.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: Because that is the hardest thing. The next that is always the next question is, how do I make money at this? And the answer is, don't try. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like there are a few who are managing it through Kickstarter's Patreon merch, but that's a lot of extra work. And the one thing that I'm always telling people, they're all like, I want to pay my actors. I'm like, pay your mixer, too.
0: Let me ask you another question about your return. When you're coming back, you're specifically coming back to 19 Nocturne. I mean, some people might have said, let's make something new, or let's rebrand myself or something along those lines. I, I guess I'm wondering, is what role does 19 Nocturne fit in your life that you said, I want to do this more?
1: It's always been an umbrella. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is an anthology series. And, and I have more stories to tell with characters who I have, like the Dead Eye Kid, where the same characters have showed up in several episodes. Mm-hmm. I have... <laughs> the lovecraft five who are also popular in germany all of my scripts have sold not sold but um, licensed to a company in germany that's recreating them in german contendo media and i've been getting really good reviews
0: over there nice we talked about trying to figure out what your first episode is And, and you mentioned earlier that you wrote a bunch of scripts and they got produced in various places, and then you release them yourself. And you said you had several that went out all at once, but you consider making book to be your first episode. Talk to me about what you were doing at that time with all these scripts and that kind of thing.
1: Like I said, in early 2008, I was work- we were working on uh, Unspeakable and Inhuman, and-, and Ryan was nice and let me record many of my actors in his studio. I was learning how to put together sounds and finding sounds. Making book was a tricky one to start with because it wasn't the first script I wrote, but it was the first one where I let myself go a little bit. It's funny because I had to make this monster sound in it. There's basically a book that opens up and tentacles come out and eat somebody. And most of that I just did. I just got up on the mic and I'm like, (laughs) and then played with different kinds of modulations. Yeah. And added in a few other noises. One fun moment from it was when I was recording it at Ryan's place. And the other actors were there, and I had to keep up this screaming. I'm just screaming and screaming and screaming and gibbering and screaming. And, blah, blah, you know, and, and everybody's just staring, <laughs> <laughs> wondering how long I can keep it up. It was so much fun.
0: You bastard! What the Back no. off, babe. I'm just seeing what you got in your little diary here. Just
2: scumbag ah! Ah! Ah!
0: When you were writing these original scripts, why were you writing these particular stories? What was it about them that appealed to you? And were you thinking of them as these are the scripts that I want to put out first because this is the impression I want to make on my audience?
1: Actually, almost everything is just it's whatever came into my head. That's what I've always written. It's whatever came into my head. For instance. Of all things, one of the the early scripts also, one of the first at least three or four that I was working on, was an adaptation of uh, In the Walls of Eric's. I mean, of all things to pick, Lovecraft is probably the second hardest writer I've ever tried to adapt from. And yet it's like you're just sitting there reading a story and the story starts telling you how it's going to go. It's, sometimes it's just, you can't, you don't really have, I mean, it's not that you don't have a choice, obviously, but when the idea is there and you're just, and it's just writing itself and you're just letting it come out, it's the most amazing feeling. And that's why I wanted an anthology series is so that I could write anything. I'm not constrained to any one genre, to any one length or or subject matter or anything.
0: Making Book is uh, a story about um, two criminals, brother and sister, who uh, are hired to retrieve a very strange book by a very strange man. And turns out that this book is a portal to hell or to someplace like it, uh, with a beast that lives inside feeds on souls. It's got a very Lovecraftian, very kind of nice horror feel to it. And there's, the characters are, are really interesting. You've got Faye, who is you, – you do the voice of Faye. She wants to get out, but her brother who's, he's kind of a loser, is um, desperate to, to make a big score. He gets seduced by the power implied by the book.
3: A book? What? It's just a big old book. Yeah, uh, even smells old. Look, it's got a lock, like a diary. what is it? A book. I mean the title. Uh, it ain't in English. That's even, right?
2: So don't... Okay, that's it. Give me that.
3: I was just seeing if it was really locked.
2: Did you not get the part about he wants it undamaged? You think prying open the lock or trying to snap the leather somehow don't count?
3: I was... I was just thinking, Faye, why would somebody pay a bunch of dough for a book? Maybe it just looks like a book. And it's uh, really a box full of jewels or something. You're willing to throw away a sure thing. You could probably pick that lock in a heartbeat, couldn't you, Faye? Look, Rusty.
2: This ain't the double down, little bear. The odds are... I don't know, but it's pointless. This book, as is, will get you out of Hawk to the Bad Men. This time... You were damn lucky to find somebody with that kind of dough to sling around. Why screw it up?
3: But if there's
0: any chance that there's more... No
2: goddamn way! This is the end! I'll drop you off on the way to Jimmy's, but I'm keeping this bad boy with me.
0: What did you like about this story? What about this particular narrative appealed to you?
1: You know, I don't think I have any particular one source. I, I see so many stories of somebody getting in trouble because of ex-sister, brother, child, parent, who is just a fuck up, and they can't say no and and one of the reasons i I will be very blunt that I started writing my own scripts at the old-time radio group was because frankly, there's just not enough good roles for women oh sure, in old time radio, and like every other drama group you've ever heard of, we had more women than men, ninety percent of the time.
0: Right. And then it's always a hard time finding scripts for everyone. Yeah. One of the other things I, I kind of liked about making book is it does have a very uh, old time radio feel to it. Um, it's, you know, this, the car sounds old and they're driving down the, you know, and then they, the dialogue is kind of like that, but then you throw in a Dr. Phil joke um, in the middle of it, you know, uh, were you playing with the genre a little bit there?
1: I, yeah. I mean, cause I realized well, I mean, if you really want to get purist about it, by the t- once I added in a strip club with the music <laughs> I was using, it yeah. had to be more modern. Right. So I I added that in just to sort of remind people that it was. It's I let it go a little modern. I mean, I haven't set specific time periods on ninety percent of what I've got. It's just just run with it kind of thing. Yeah. Cell phones and the internet destroyed horror movies for a couple of years oh sure yeah
0: because why don't why don't people just call for help yeah once you can't
1: achieve isolation and information isn't hard to come by that is a massive turning point in how stories can be told and so a a lot of times i have a tendency to think without cell phones because i'm old school and and because it just makes it easier and or or cell phones that are limited but that's why I kind of leave it in a vague time period.
0: When you look back at Making Book and the other episodes you wrote around that time period, um, how do you feel about them? Oh, I still think they're great.
1: I honestly, I've always looked back on what I've worked on and liked it. And I've been very lucky with that because I know everybody is their own worst critic. Yeah, We all sure. are, whether it's for our acting, whether it's for our for our writing, our mixing, you know, I mean, I'll hear something like, "Ooh, I could have done that better. That could have been smoother. But and I mean, I'm not going to berate myself over it. It's done. Right. I might go back and listen to a show and go, "Ooh, I should have explained that a little bit more. But, but at the same time, overall, I really
0: like everything I've done. You are very active in promoting audio drama on Twitter, especially, but in yes. other places as well. Um, and you are the creator and operator of A.D. Infinitum. Tell us about that.
1: As I said, when I started to try to make a return, I the first thing I saw everybody was asking was, how do I market this? Mm. And I mean, honestly, there is a market. Audible.com has proven there is a voracious audience for listening to stories. I mean, it's not a great place to try to market your audio drama, because you can, but you're going to get paid pennies per download, and that's not going to pay your actors. We haven't come up with a good way to monetize the shows at all. I mean, there are people who put ads in and there are people who show it on behind a paywall. And there's people who have Patreon-only material and have Patreons. And and I have a Patreon, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love the support that I get from people who have have put up with a lot from me over the years. It's tricky. I mean, if you're not making this because you love it, you're not going to be making
0: it for very long. What do you do with A.D. Infinitum? Every day you get on Twitter and you post um, a l- nice, very good looking graphic that links to uh, a scripted audio drama.
1: Um, oh, well yeah. I post one every hour at least. Uh, okay. Right now it's been a very busy week and I've had a bunch coming out every couple of hours. Um, if you look at the borders, the A.D. Infinitum border tells you what kind of show it is. Not like genre or anything, but a blue border is a brand new episode has come out within the last couple of days. A yellow border is a show that is still producing, but they haven't had an episode out recently, like they're between seasons or they're on hiatus. And a brown border is something from the vault, something that I think has ended but didn't come to an end, you know? And the green ones are a completed story. There are a lot of shows that they're completed and they're fine, but they vanish. Nobody ever hears from them again. This way, people hear about them. Here's the, oh, hey, look,
0: here's 32 episodes of
1: something that I might like.
0: I guess, I guess I'm curious because that does sound like a ton of work. Yeah. What keeps you motivated to do it?
1: Well, I started it because I wanted to have a place to publicize my show when I right sure but now it's like it's partly habit and partly a lot of people do seem to depend on it I Mm. think what I'm going to try to do is I don't know if I should put this in in official like on a podcast or not because I'm not ready yet but I want to do a kickstarter which will let me take it up a notch really none of us do a lot of marketing because marketing is hard Because we're like a tidal pool in the giant ocean of podcasting. We're we're separate. We're different. But what I'm hoping to do is if I can take this, get people to jump in and help kickstart it, then I can advertise A.D. Infinitum outside the tidal pool Mm -hmm. and bring people in, which will then be an audience for everybody. How do you measure success? I would love to get paid for what I do. I mean, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong that, but that's not how I measure success for me. It's, you know, people liking it, people sending me a note and saying, my God, that was awesome. I never saw that
0: coming. What are some lessons that you have learned about making audio drama that you can share with people who maybe want to create their own?
1: The big thing I would say is get everybody to have some competence with mixing. Because I have seen more shows disappear because the mixer got burned out. Yeah. And the mixer is the one who's going to burn out. Yeah. Distribute it if you can. I mean, distribute the mixing. You can have somebody checking lines and breaking down lines and somebody else doing other things. That is the big place that things get choked. I like to help people get started, though I do come across as kind of pessimistic because i'm because i'm very practical yeah you know it's like learn how to do it yourself because you can't count on other people i i know it comes across as pessimistic plus if people ask me how to monetize i just laugh at them <laughs> my big thing is i'm a big showoff i write parts that i want to play and there's nothing wrong with that you know i don't always cast myself in them but if i write them the way i would like to play them I write something that I would like to play, then there are going to be parts that other people want to play, too.
3: It's so perfect. No way to trace it. There's no way to catch me. All I got to do is walk up to someone, open the book, just like that one. whammo! you going to go around killing people? Once they're eaten, it's not like you can take their wallets. I thought of that. I'm not going to rob no one. Just hire myself out. How could you? Mom would never have... Yeah, well, I never knew Mom, sissy bear. Any problems with my upbringing? They're all on you. But... I knew it. You just want me to be a wimp so you could push me around. Just your little bear. You never want me to win big because if I was ever a success, you wouldn't have anybody to gloat over and preach to. Well, now it's too late. It's my turn, Faye. This is my chance to be the man.
2: Musty, you stop this right now!
3: What are you gonna do? Put me over your knee? I got the book, and while well, I'd hate to have to use it again right away... You
2: wouldn't!
0: Try me. With years of content across a variety of genres, listeners will find something to like in 19 Nocturne Boulevard's Scary and Fantastical Tales. And the AD Infinitum Project is an excellent resource to find audio dramas new and old. But 19 Nocturne also shows how the audio drama medium can be used as an instrument of creative expression that is free of some of the restrictions of other kinds of media. You can listen to 19 Nocturne Boulevard on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The First Episode Of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down to earth sci fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles, and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.